Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This episode of the CVU School Counselor Podcast is quickly becoming one of my favorites because of all that I am learning during the course of this of creating this show. As many of you know, we administered the PSATs and the plan test or the pre-ACT back in October. We spent last week going over how to interpret your results, and this week we're going to hear from admissions reps from multiple schools who will talk to us about how they use standardized testing as part of the application review process. I hope you all find these conversations as informative and as and as helpful in outlining the process for students as Susie and I have. Our first conversation is with Moses Murphy, the Director of Admissions with UVM, who will surprise us all with some information about standardized testing, applications, the need for it with on the campus of UVM, who is committed to going to 2026 as being test option. My father used to, and still does, tell me that uh, it's always a good day when you learn something, and I've lear- I learned a lot during this conversation with Moses. Moses Murphy is our, is the Director of Admissions, is that the correct title? Yep. yep. Director yep. of Admissions with, with UVM. And how many, I'm curious, Moses, you are probably gearing up to release some admissions decisions in the next couple of weeks. How many, how many applications did you receive this fall? And if I may, and if you don't have the number, that's fine. We can talk about it in January on our college panel night. How many of those applications were submitted without test scores? Yeah, so we received uh, about 18,500 applications through our early action and early decision uh, application uh, deadline. Um, uh, you know, the, the, and to your point, we are right in the middle of uh, sort of making those decisions and, and working them through our process. And we hope to release those decisions um, at the end of this month, December, uh, before uh, we go off on, on our winter break. Um, and, and generally speaking, what, we, what we've found in recent years since we've moved to, to te- test optional um, is that, you know, about half of the students who apply decide to do so uh, uh, with submitting standardized test scores. Um, historically, again, over the past couple of cycles, um, you know, we admit about half of the people we admit will be test optional and about half the students who enroll uh, will be test optional. So it, it's something that, um, you know, certainly a, a large part of our applicant pool uh, is deciding to not submit standardized test scores with their application. So you have, if I'm, if I'm remembering the news correctly, you said that the applicant pool through 2026 will be continue to be test optional? Yeah, we're, we're, uh, we've continued our three-year pilot. It's now a, a six-year pilot from when it began. And so it will continue through those students who are applying for the fall 2026 uh, semester. Um, it, at some point between now and then, you know, we'll make a decision about whether or not to, to make that policy um, you know, final and to formalize it. Um, and I think the things we're looking at are performance data of students who, who come to our campus. So yeah. um, you know, not only how are they performing in the classroom, but how are they retaining from first year to second year? And then uh, you know, how, how are they graduating um, and are they doing so on time? So 
once we're armed with with that information, we can then go to the the faculty senate and the president, and the board of trustees, and make a recommendation about a, a more permanent policy, one way or another. Yeah, I would imagine you need some graduation data to back up. You know, is this is it prudent to stay, or is it, you know, were our numbers better with testing? Yeah, and er early indications are, and this is, you know, of course, um, performance and retention data. Um, we wouldn't, of course, yet have any graduation data, but um, is that students who do not submit test scores are performing uh, almost identically to those uh, that, that do. Um, sure. some, some variance by major and things like that, but um, uh, for the most part, those students are, are doing well. Um, keeping in mind that that first class of test optional uh, was made up of a lot of students who, who really didn't sort of self-select into the test right. optional pool. They weren't able to take the test. Um, so th that data set's a little wonky, but um, as we move forward, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a look and see how, how things shake out. So when, when you are looking at applications, um, how do you look at what is your process for 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 using that test score? Because my guess is you're not using that test score and making a decision solely based on that test score. And I yeah. ask that Moses because when I sit with students, there's there's a tremendous amount of anxiety around the PSAT results coming out, and then anxiety around do I test or do I not test, and everybody talking about needing to test. Um, and I have my own philosophy about testing and, and thoughts on after talking with good folks like you on how schools utilize test scores. But I'm curious to hear from you, like in these last couple of years, how have you used uh, the applicant data? I'm not just going to say test scores, but, but how do you integrate test scores within that? Yeah, and I, what I would say is that, you know, even when we required all students to submit test scores, they, they were a secondary component to the to the review process. So the, you know, those things that a student does outside the classroom, the courses that they've selected, their performance, um, you know, in the classroom, the essay, the letters of recommendation, those those are all things that that carried more weight than a standardized test score. Um, you know, a, a test score was used to, to either confirm, um, you know, or dispel some of what we were seeing in the academic record. So, you, you know, you could see, um, you know, if a student said that, you know, they had a particular issue in a math class because of an illness or, you know, the, the teacher didn't mesh well or whatever it was, and then you could see a, a math SAT score that was really strong and it might back that up. Um, the, the alternative could be true where you had a low math score, but you're seeing, you know, performance in the classroom that would suggest the student does well in math. So um, it was it was used in that way. Um, it was never the end all be all. And, and that's even more true, you know, now, um, you know, for students who do submit test scores, um, it can help us uh, in support of what we're seeing elsewhere in the application. Um, but for students who don't submit test scores, um, we're, we're, again, just putting that emphasis on all the other components uh, of the application to try to determine if a student's a good candidate, if they're a good fit, and if they'll be successful once they get here. So what I'm, what I'm distilling that down to is, uh, in many ways, a transcript trumps test scores. Yes, certainly. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, I think that... Um, you know, for students who do not submit test scores, what I've, what I've been telling them is that, you know, in absent that test score, you know, all the other components of the application just take on more weight. Um, you, you figure that the, a test score for all its flaws 
it's really an academic measure. So, you know, more specifically, it is the strength of a student's schedule. Uh, and then, of course, how they did in that schedule that's taking on additional weight in our review process. Um, so, you know, being able to see if a student is a good fit for the major that they've selected by, you know, looking at the courses that they've decided to take in high school, uh, how those courses relate to their intended major, and then, of course, how, they, how they've done in those courses. So we really like to see students who are, you know, challenging themselves with the most difficult schedule that they can be successful in. All right. And I think this might be my last question for you. But if I if a student chooses not to test, is more stuff on their transcript better or is it better to do more with less? Yeah, I think when it when it comes to, you know, extracurricular activities and, and things outside the classroom, you know, what we're always looking for is is depth over breadth. So, you know, we're looking for students who, um, you know, who have a very um, you know, passionate interest uh, and and have really thrown themselves into something, whatever that might be. And, and you know, listen, for some students that might be work, it might be taking care of a family member, um, but we're looking to see that students have, have really, um, you know, found something that they're passionate about um, and devoted themselves to it. Uh, and then we're also looking for leadership uh, within a certain activity. So if you you know, are interested in, in a particular um, extracurricular activity, what sort of leadership roles have you taken on, um, you know, within a specific organization or team or, or whatever it might be. Um, so that's more beneficial than the student who dabbles a little bit in a bunch of different things. Right. Um, we're really looking for that, that depth of involvement and leadership. What about more APs are better? Well, I do, again, I do think strength of schedule is important, but it's, uh, you know, if, taking more APs is going to um, have a negative impact on performance. In other words, if you're going to overwhelm yourself, then that's not a benefit. You're much better off, you know, taking the AP courses in the specific subject areas where you know you have a strength and really challenging yourselves, yourself in that area. Um, that said, it is important to stick with core academic areas throughout all of high school. So, you know, if math isn't an area of strength for a particular student, I wouldn't expect them to be an AP calculus, but I would expect them to be taking a math course senior year and then challenging themselves with an AP course in, you know, the subject area where they do have a strength. Um, so, you know, again, academic rigor is, is definitely a metric uh, that we're looking at, uh, but, you know, to overdo it uh, at the detriment of your performance is, is not going to benefit a student in the process. That seems right, right in line with kind of the the conversations I've been having with students in in my office. Really, is you know I I can appreciate the desire to want to do, but let's focus that want into areas where you are truly comfortable and feel like it, it it's an appropriate challenge to take on because doing too much is. It can be a detriment if you're used to getting A's and B's and now you've got six AP's and you're getting C's and D's. Great. Yeah. You're surviving, but that's not helping your application. Yeah, that's that's not what we're looking for. Um, you know, and there are those students out there who who can take all the APs and can do well in them. And, and of course, they should continue to do that. But, um, you know, for students who who know their strengths and their weaknesses, loading up on on you know ap courses in areas where you have a very low likelihood of having success is is not advisable for sure 
Cool. Well, thank you, Moses. I appreciate your time during this this busy application period, and we'll uh, we'll chat again in January for the college panel night, where we can talk more about the uh, some of the new stuff happening at at UVM. Yeah, looking forward to it, Russ, and always good to see you. All right, take care. Thanks again, Hi. Moses. I learned a lot in that conversation with Moses, and let's let's hear what Susie and I heard from Sam Prouty, an admissions counselor with Middlebury. He makes some similar points as Moses and interestingly speaks also to that 50% number and confirms that Middlebury reviews standardized test scores and applications in much the same way, holistically and with test scores being but a small part of the overall application. These interviews are fun as times change, as thoughts on testing changes. It's always good to spend your day learning from the people who are in the mix and can really speak to what matters. Uh, one of the things that I'm hearing when I talk with students when they're starting the whole search process or the application process is uh, that more is better, more classes, more APs because I'm not going to test. What does that look like on your end? How do you feel about it? What does it look like? Uh, I, I would say that those are distinct issues, right? So for us, our our curricular advice is always uh, students should take the most advanced curriculum available to them that they are also interested in taking, right? And so if the student loves science and you all offer a lot of advanced science, great. But if the student doesn't love science and wants to take, you know, a really interesting class in history instead, that's totally fine with us. And, and I would separate that from the testing issue. So I would say um, my advice on curriculum has really nothing to do with whether or not a student submits testing. And, and I would not agree with the idea that if you're not submitting testing, somehow there's, there's even more pressure on you to you know, take a million APs or advanced courses or what have you. I, to me, to me those, are, those are really just separate issues entirely. So if I'm taking if I'm taking the most advanced set of courses I can take and I'm adding because I think I have to do more. Yeah, I, I mean, again, take the most challenging courses available to you that you also want to take. To me, that the second half of my sentence is important. Right? So if you're just going to load up on a million really hard classes because you think that's going to impress somebody like me, but then you're going to turn around and get a bunch of B's and C's because you've, you've overloaded then then yeah my advice is don't overload in the first place you know take take what's advanced that is also of interest to you and so you know i would never and, and re i would say and reasonable my advice is always exactly. reasonable yes. and can i jump in and this we're going to segue for a minute and you can edit this out so sam my question for you is it's expecting a lot that, of you're, that you're interested in is the key phrase right like that you're interested in so i work with a i work with a group of students at cvu who really deep dive into things they're interested in. I'm gonna give you an example. They say, I'm gonna pull out a CVU and I'm gonna to go to the Health Sciences Academy at Burlington Technical Center. And I'm gonna take two years of that program, half a day, get 17 college credits, anatomy and physiology. How are you, how are you approaching Technical Center students? Are you, the, the, the dial is shifting on their, um, on the academic rigor and some of those programs within the Technical Centers. Are you seeing that? Are you noticing that? And are you accepting any students coming out of technical centers? 
we certainly accept students who come out of those kind of programs and, and we, you know, we accept, accept students from every kind of school with every kind of curriculum. Um, you know, if the choice is between that path and the full IB down here in Middlebury that's offered or the full complement of APs, we probably would see the technical center as less overall rigor than the full set of APs. But I would also say that's, that's not a reason not to do that. Again, you know, I think if the student and actually if you all as counselors um, kind of put in your letter of recommendation or the student puts right in their file, you know, hey, I want to walk you through why I took this particular series of courses, right? So my school offers AP Bio, but I was much more interested in, you know, the health, the health science classes available to me, you know, at the technical center. So I went that route. I, I think that's fine, you know, and so if students are ever nervous about how we are going to interpret their choices, I say just, you know, tell, tell us the story, right? Tell us why you made the choices you've made and, you know, what the opportunity costs were and, and why you did what you did. And, and that's fine. Uh, Middlebury for the next, what is it? Is this the last year, Sam, or is, are there more years of being test optional at Middlebury? No, we'll, we'll have more. We haven't made any kind of official pronouncement about this yet, but uh, we're in year three of a three-year initial trial. Yeah. We don't have a, enough data to really um, dive into the weeds about how all of this has worked. So I think that we're going to extend that trial for at least another two or three uh, and then, you know, see where we are at that point. Because I was talking with Moses and his, his impression, it, well, they've gone to 2026, but his impression was that they're having 50% of their applicants submit with and 50% submit without testing. And they're at this point, they're not really seeing a huge difference in performance on campus. Do you have any data that, that tells you how kids are doing if they aren't submitting tests? So that's, that's the data that we need to have. And because of the first year or two of test optional coincided with a pandemic when yep. You know, not everybody was here, and it, it, there's all kinds of things that get in the way of having clean data there. So we, we don't yet have a full set of numbers that that you know that we're confident tells the whole story, which is why we're going to extend. Um, I will add, and this might be worth keeping for your when you edit. So much like uh, UVM told you, roughly half of our applicants have applied without testing, and and this is to me the important part roughly half of the admits also have no testing. And, and the fact that those two match up, I think really tells you, and, and it hopefully is proof in the pudding, that the testing is not playing an outsized role one way or the other. There are some colleges which will tell you, you know, 70% of applicants applied without testing, but only, um, you, you know, but 70% but of the admits had the testing, you know, that, that tells you a different story. But, you know, for us, the fact that it's half and half in both the uh, application and the admit sort of groups. Um, you know, when, when our people tell you the testing really does not play a huge role, I mean, you know, we're telling you the truth. Can you talk to us about how you would look at test scores in, uh, in context? I've heard, I, when I've listened to other podcasts or talked to other admissions reps, that's kind of a, a conversation is how we're looking at those in context. Yep. Um, I'll, I'll start by busting the myth. So the most common myth I hear is if I don't submit my test, the school will just assume that I'm a lousy test taker. And I want to say right up front that that is not our assumption. And we don't 
we don't psychoanalyze <laughs> we don't psychoanalyze you in that way, right? So um, if you choose to submit a test, we're going to use it. If you choose not to, that's totally fine, and we don't really think any more about it. Um, if the testing is there, you know, we look at it as you say in context, and for us, the context is not just our applicant pool, right? So it's not as simple as a fifteen hundred is better than a twelve hundred, because there are some towns in this country where the average is fifteen hundred, right, at the public school in that town, and so your fifteen hundred, while excellent, is still average within the context that has produced you. There are other places in this country where the average is an eight fifty. And so the student's 1250, while as a, as a raw number, that 1250 is on the lower side for Middlebury, it's still way higher than that school's average. And so when we look at testing, we're not only looking at a raw number, we're looking at, you know, what are the averages in the school and the town and the area that has produced you? Um, and that plays into things. Um, we also, you know, we're, as you said earlier, you know, we're kind of looking at public and private and and maybe making some assumptions about the level of counseling, right? So there are kids out there who have a lot more counseling, you know, in terms of they might have private counselors walking them through how to do this every step of the way. Uh, other students don't have that level of um, expertise, you know, right in their back pocket. And so hopefully all of this is to say, we're not just looking at a raw number, right? Is 1500 better than 1300? Well, that's actually a tricky question because it depends on a lot of other factors, including right. the school where you come from, the, the surround. Um, my bottom line is I am much more interested in the day-to-day -day performance. What are the grades that you're earning in high school? What is the rigor that has been available to you and have you taken advantage of it? And what are your teachers saying about you and those recommendations? And for me, those are the pieces that make the academic profile and testing, you know, to me, testing is sort of, if it's there, it's one extra ingredient in the soup, but if it's not there, there's still plenty of other ingredients. So last question, unless Susie chimes in with something that she oh. feels we off topic that she feels we need to talk about. As a student, how do I decide on whether I should choose to take a test uh, when not required to do so? Um, how might I decide whether to submit those scores or not? I would say look at a couple of different things. I would, you know, look at look at the college's average testing, you know, the mid 50% range or whatever they report. If your testing is way above that, it will probably help you. If your testing is way below that, it might not. But I would also look at the, at the high school profile um, and talk to counselors like yourselves and say, you know, I've got a 1460 and that looks like it's about average for Middlebury. Should I submit it or not? And if you say, well, 1460 is about average for Middlebury, but it's 300 points higher than our school average, well, then yeah, maybe maybe submit it because within the context of that school, it still looks pretty good. I would also look at your own grades, right? Like the fact of the matter is, if you're already a straight A student in the hardest classes, testing is not going to add that much. Um, if your testing is in fact much higher than your classroom, you know, your classroom performance then maybe the testing, you know, will, will help you a little bit. But I would also say to me, it's the day-to-day -day life in the classroom that's going to matter anyway. So even, you know, if you're a straight C student with a perfect SAT score, the perfect SAT score is only going to help you so much because you're still a straight C student for a right. you know, reason. And you've got that longitudinal evidence in the transcript that probably speaks more to who you are as a learner than 
than a, a perfect SAT score? Uh, ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, te- a test score reflects your preparation for the test. It, it certainly can reflect some innate, you know, academic ability. But let's be honest, a test score only exists because of two or three Saturday mornings. Again, I'm, I'm much more interested in what you're doing all day, every day. Cool. Well, thank you, Sam. I appreciate your time. We'll let you get back to all your reading. And maybe we'll we'll see you definitely in January, but maybe we'll see you in person in February. I know. That sounds fun. Our final interview in this podcast on to test or not to test is with Anna Deckert from Dartmouth, who spoke to us for 10 minutes or so about Dartmouth's philosophies around testing and how they integrate testing into a student's overall holistic application review. We are grateful to everyone for their time. Hope that you all learned as much as I did during these conversations, and we will speak to you probably after the holiday break. Have a great break, everybody. Happy New Year, and we'll be back with you again in 2023. I'm curious to get your thoughts around if I do not test, is more stuff on my resume slash transcript better or is it better to do more with less? Yeah. So let's talk about the kind of non-academic piece first. So thinking about like a resume or um, activities and and that side of, of the application. Um, and I think it's really hard to give a one size fits all answer to that yep. because every applicant is different and every right. applicant's interests are different and every applicant's kind of passions and timeline of developing those is different. And so I think that's a point where a student needs to um, take some time to take a step back and think about, and this is maybe something that happens a little bit earlier in high school sometimes, sometimes it's happening kind of throughout high school, Um, but thinking about, am I someone who I know what I love, I've figured out some passions, I have opportunities to pursue those deeply. And I'm going to put a lot of time into a smaller number of activities or initiatives or things that I'm that I'm um, working on. And that's going to appear as kind of a, a shorter list, but with deeper engagement, deeper impact within kind of each of those areas. And that might be one profile that we're seeing. There might be another student who is really more at the exploration stage. And I think there's kind of a misconception that students need to have their life and their passions and aspirations figured out before they apply to college. And that's not at all the case. And so there might be another student who they love athletics and they love volunteering and they had this cool opportunity one year and they did something really different the next year. And in 10th grade, they realized they didn't want to be doing music anymore and they dropped that and they picked up something different. And it might be a kind of longer list, maybe a little bit more scattered, um, but there's more of a story of exploration and maybe they're kind of finding um, some areas, you know, towards the end of high school that they are going a little bit deeper in, but it's going to look like a really different profile. So those are, there's not a one size fits all answer to that on on the kind of non-academic side. On the academic side, testing is one among many different pieces of information that we get. And so I would encourage a student to think about what is the academic profile that we are going to be seeing of that student? Um, You know, did the student have access to 
um, a variety of, of different courses or um, different levels of rigor in the school. Some schools offer a lot of, of variety and options. Some offer very little, some offer none. Um, so are we going to be able to kind of see what choices a student was able to make or had the opportunity to make, um, as well as seeing how they're doing in those courses? And is there something that a test score might add that would change or shift that profile or corroborate that profile in a way that the student feels is, is important? Is that what you would, is that what you might call or, um, reviewing information within context so you're not creating a yes pile based on test scores and a no pile based on test scores but how do your test scores yeah. kind of how do we review them within a certain context yeah. yeah and so i think that oftentimes a test score is corroborating the story that many other pieces of the application are already yeah. telling us yeah so we're seeing your transcript we're seeing that you are say this is a, a student who is kind of towards the top of their school and we're seeing information about the courses that a student has done. We're seeing that they've done exceptionally well throughout high school. We're hearing that in recommendation letters. We're hearing about the student's um, you know, achievement as well as kind of impact. And then there's a test score that is furthering that same story. We're very rarely seeing a test score that is um, really drastically different than transcripts. You know, if there's a student, and I'm going to go with kind of some extremes here, but if there's a student who is getting C's and D's on their transcript, we're not going to see a 1600 SAT coming out of that. Right. And if we do, that's more of like a red flag. Something is really wonky happening here. Um, so a test score is, and if we did see that, that 1600 would absolutely not be, you know, a guaranteed admit if there's a transcript right. that is telling a really different story. So most often a, a test score is, is kind of corroborating a story. There are some times where um, there's, you know, maybe grades within a school are kind of really tightly, you know, bunched together and, and a test score feels like a way that a student might be able to sort of differentiate themselves. Um, and there might be some students who feel like they really excel at testing and other students who, have taken a practice test and think this does not tell my academic story and I'm going to maybe focus my college list on places that don't ask for that as part of my academic story um, and are going to put more emphasis on, on other pieces of the academics. Um, so yeah, we're looking at, at all of that in context. The context for academic pieces is also looking at things like um, what is the curriculum at your school? Are there honors classes? Are there AP classes? How many of them? In what areas? And what has a student's kind of engagement with with those classes been? Um, and what are their academic interests? Yeah. And at the moment, with much of the landscape being test optional, do you are you finding that transcripts in a lot of ways trump test scores because you have that longitudinal success data versus a single sitting? So I think that for a school like Dartmouth, and I'm kind of, there's, you know, 4,000 higher education yep. students in the U.S., so we're talking about kind of one end of that spectrum. Um, for a school like Dartmouth, a transcript will, will carry more weight, you know, than a test score often, because it is usually four years of information, um, oftentimes at the same high school, um, and has that kind of depth, 
you know, of, of information going back over, over time. Um, there, you know, different schools will have different information that they're able to include on the school profile that will help us kind of understand that transcript. Um, there are some schools that the grade distribution is really wide. There are some schools where the grade distribution is really narrow and many students are kind of right around that same area. And so then maybe other pieces are kind of helping us to understand what is the profile of a top performer in this school look like? What are the classes that they're taking? Um, what's the rigor? What's the achievement level that we would be seeing from a top student? Because that varies hugely across different schools and the opportunities that students have varies hugely across different schools. And yeah, across the country, I would imagine. Yeah. And I, I you mentioned the school profile and just as an aside, I that was one of, I'll plug Lee Coffin's Admission Beat podcast. That was one of the ones that I, I listened to because A, it caught my eye, but then it really made me rethink our school profile as we move into perhaps next year's graduates. How do we make a school profile that really highlights more of what, more of the information that we, that we think is unique to CBU and how we get that out there to schools in a way that's easily digestible? Yeah. And I think one of the challenges of the pandemic is that, um, rightfully, I think that, that there has been more flexibility, more kind of um, some schools move to pass fail grades for two years. Yeah. And then where we used to have students who were getting A's and B's, they're just all getting passes. And, and what does that mean in terms of how we're seeing those grades? Um, and we, so went to, we went to pass with distinction. Okay. Yeah. And so knowing that scale, that's something we would expect to yeah. see on a school profile helping us. And, and right now we're in a weird situation where it might be, okay, in 10th grade, this was the grading scale. And then in 11th grade, this was the grading scale. And in 12th grade, we're going back to what you used to see five years ago. Um, so it's a little bit more kind of digging around on our side to, to make sure that we're interpreting that correctly. Um, but the school profiles will typically lay that out or the transcript will have, have keys that we're looking at there. So I'm I'm not going to ask the the question that I'm sure everybody's going to ask at some point. But do you have any any reflections on the class that you are currently working on? Like, are you accepting most of the students who've tested? Are you accepting equal number, equal percentages with tests and without? What? How is that sugaring off for you guys? Yeah. So we so Dartmouth's policy right now, and this has been a a um, policy that has just started from the pandemic. So we have not made kind of a long-term decision, but we're still in the sort of temporary um, policy stage, but we are test optional for all applicants. Um, and so we are not, there's, there are certain data points that we are purposefully not sharing. So if you look on our website and look at a class profile of the admitted students, you're not going to see testing profiles for the last several classes that were admitted under a test optional policy because as you can imagine when students have the choice of whether or not to send testing it's going to skew towards yes. students with higher testing choosing yep. to send that testing if we were to publish that that would be a really wonky data point that That's, would be that really is representative so we've kept the testing profile of the last class that had testing required because that is really a more representative 
level for students to kind of calibrate, you know, what is the actual profile of, of classes going into a place like Dartmouth? Um, we don't share information on kind of percentages of, of students um, who are submitting testing or not. Um, I will say that part of my work is with international students and there are places in the world where testing is back and fully available and we're seeing a lot more students submitting testing and there are parts of the world or the country where um, there are still actual access issues and we're just you know not seeing testing or students huh. who have um, robust kind of other standardized pieces to their application um, that that they're choosing to to include instead. So there have been shifts in kind of where we are um, seeing things go back to more students choosing to submit testing, which I think part of how I would interpret that is that they had access to take testing, they had access to practice for that testing, um, they feel good about those test scores, they feel like it's something that they want that to be a part of the, the academic profile that, that they're putting forward. But bottom line, you're still reviewing all applicants equally, whether they've submitted yes. or not. Yep. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, you've been more than generous with your time, Anna. I, I hope that you have. Uh... All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate your, your time with me today. Thank you so much. Have a all great right, day. Take care. See you. Bye. Bye.